0: Hello, everyone. I'm Heather Ward, the SCA's Director of Content Strategy, and you're listening to the SCA Podcast. Today's episode is part of our Expo Lecture Series, dedicated to showcasing a curated selection of the extensive live lectures offered at our Specialty Coffee Expo. Check out the show notes for relevant links and a full transcript of today's lecture. This episode of the Expo 2019 Lectures Podcast is supported by SoftEngine Coffee One, powered by SAP. Built upon SAP's business-leading enterprise resource planning solution, SoftEngine Coffee One is designed to quickly and easily take your small to medium coffee company, working at any point along the coffee chain, to the next level of success. Learn more about SoftEngine Coffee One at softengine.com, with special pricing available for SCA members. SoftEngine, the most intelligent way to grow your business. The episode you're about to hear was recorded live at the 2019 Specialty Coffee Expo in Boston. Don't miss next year's lecture series in Portland. Find us on social media or sign up for our monthly newsletter to keep up to date with all of our announcements, including ways to get involved in next year's expo and early bird ticket release. With over a decade of experience in specialty coffee, Erica Vani believes that coffee is for everyone. Like many before her, she started as a barista and worked her way through management, events coordination, quality control, education, green buying, and importing. Along with being the 2017 Coffee Masters Champion and an Arabica Q grader, Erica is committed to using her position to further the advancement of marginalized people within specialty coffee. She is using her unique platform as Director of Coffee at Trade to spotlight these issues in the media. Using hard data collected on consumer feedback and SKU performance at trade, Erica explores one of the trends they've found. Customers want naturally processed coffee, roasted with longer development, butting up to second crack. It challenges the programs seen within many specialty roasters. Erica sees this as an opportunity to provide insight into gaining more customers, becoming more approachable with our coffee, and pumping money back into the industry without compromising integrity. Is the next trend a well-developed dark roast? What stops us as an industry from achieving that or providing our customer base with that option? How do we thoughtfully push development in roast profiles? Does this mean we can continue to buy relationship coffees, even in hard harvest years, so money goes to the producer and has avenues to sell these coffees to consumers? Erica argues the answer to all of this is yes. And that being more inclusive with our offerings will help specialty coffee thrive in the face of climate, socioeconomic, and political challenges facing the industry today. Also, I will jump in occasionally to help you follow along.
1: Um, So thank you. Thank you all for coming out. Um, Welcome to Customer customer Desire Along Roast Degree, What Do Specialty Consumers Actually Want From Us? A very uh, wordy title that essentially is just going to show you uh, the first year of trade, Which is the coffee company that I work for, and the data that we've collected based off of customer feedback. So, yeah. Because I am a former Barisa competitor, I'm going to hit time. Boop. Okay. Um, For those of you that don't know me, uh, my name is Erica Vone. I have worked in coffee for. very long time, 13 years. I started as a barista when I was 18, and I worked bar shifts pretty consistently for the next 11 years. Um, within that, I was also an educator, uh, a green buyer. I implemented and ran a QC program. Uh, I competed off and on for years. Uh, I won Coffee Masters in New York in 2017. Um, I achieved my Q Arabica certification in October of 2016. I've coached competitors, new ones, US barista champions, and I've worked in green coffee sales for an importer. And the reason why I ran down my CV for you, is a nice little intro, but also to let you know that all of these customer-facing aspects, whether it be green coffee, whether it be working bar shifts, have primed me for my role as director of coffee at Trade. Trade is an online marketplace that represents 52 specialty coffee roasters that drop ships roasted to order coffee across the entire country. Uh, Trade is a marketplace that connects consumers to specialty coffee, and what we're seeing is oftentimes it is their very first intro to specialty. Um, For consumers, Trade's catalog of 454 as of uh, 11 a.m. this morning... 54 coffees rotate seasonally, and they offer variety, a personalized fit, and freshness. For roasters, Trades, e-commerce, logistics software, and consumer marketing funnel offer roasters scalable access to consumers who are, A, variety hungry, and B, dispersed across both urban and suburban parts of the U.S., Our customers find value in our personalization quiz that matches them to a coffee they'll love, as well as the vastness of their catalog, which we have 454 coffees on from 52 roasters. A very impressive amount of coffee to be able to sift through. So Trade's company mission is to turn coffee drinkers into coffee lovers. And it's a really nice echo of my own personal ethos, which is that I believe that specialty coffee can be for everyone because there is a coffee out there for every coffee drinker. Um, What you're about to see that I show you helps prove a little bit of that. Uh, We've been able to pursue this mission as a company due to support of investors, uh, which includes Pete's, which is a JAB company. It's our job to connect specialty to a new universe of consumers, and our investors have been instrumental in allowing that to happen. Trade is my very first venture into e-commerce, and to say that I'm learning a lot is a very big understatement. Um, As someone who's worked in customer-facing aspects of coffee for over a decade, I'm learning more about who these customers actually are than I ever have before, and a lot of that is because we let the data that we collect drive our pursuit of the mission, um, allowing feedback and sales guide all of the actions that we take. Because it all exists online, the input is digital and can be followed along rather objectively. However, we have an amazing customer experience team that actually does get to talk to our customers, and we interact with them and listen to their feedback in a way that adds and supports anecdotal evidence to all of the um, objective data that we collect. In that way, it's different than the kinds of customer interactions I had while working bar, but very similar in the trends of customer preference uh, that I've seen throughout the years kind of been saying what this lecture's been about for a few years now, but I finally have numbers (laughs) to be able to back up um, all of these things that I've been saying. The fact that I get to know so much more about who the specialty coffee consumer is, is one of the most insightful parts of working at trade, and it's why I wanted to make a lecture titled, What Do Coffee Customers Actually Want From Us? So before we get there, I wanted to share a quote with you from Carl Sagan. Uh, one of my favorite people, and uh, it's a quote that I use all the time to remind myself of the bigger picture. If you want to, if you wish to make an apple pie from scratch, you must first invent the universe. So, what does the specialty coffee universe look like, specifically the at-home coffee consumer?
0: Erica has a slide titled Market Breakdown that shows in what locations coffee is consumed the most. 15% of the time, it's in coffee shops. 13% at home, 6% in restaurants, 5% in convenience stores, 4% at the workplace, and 1% in bakery, cafes, and other places.
1: (laughs) But as it looks right now, the specialty coffee universe looks to be about $44 billion. Uh, The information I'm about to share with you comes from a mosaic of different data collection avenues. So trade focuses specifically on home consumption. And we know that customers are going to retreat from larger grocery store brands in huge numbers and are going to be looking for brands with stories, flavors, and offerings that speak directly to their needs. And we're seeing that manifest itself in vast amounts of variety. And it's been Trade's mission to bring what's amazing about specialty to as many consumers as possible, and we're seeing the biggest opportunities to be reaching and accessing these types of customers specifically. Not only is their slice of the pie larger, it's been tried and true tested that people will pay a little bit more if you can guarantee them an outcome that is something exceptionally better. It's still important to know who these customers are in order to create a product for them. Doing that has proven immeasurably difficult because there are literally dozens of different types of coffee drinkers. A majority of feedback we see can't easily be defined into one type of coffee drinker or one type of expertise. So how do we talk to customers who have such a hard and fast belief that their beliefs are facts about coffee when really it's just personal preference. Who, who are these customers? Um, we've been able to produce a bunch of customer surveys to so better understand who these customers are.
0: Erica's slide shows a mouse hovering over four options in an online survey. The survey is titled, What is your coffee experience level? And the four options are, I'm pretty new to all of this. I'm at an intermediate stage. I'm pretty advanced and I'm a total coffee nerd. On the right is a screen grab from Google Maps of Brooklyn, New York, along with a picture from inside an apartment building with a view of the Manhattan Bridge.
1: Now, by and large, Specialty thinks that our consumer looks like this. They identify as pretty advanced or a total coffee nerd. They live in Dumbo with uh, in a high-rise overlooking, you know, the bridges leading into Manhattan. Um, they definitely love Specialty coffee. They identify as an enthusiast. This is kind of who we are, right? So we see this as the customers that we're reaching. And while we do have plenty of customers that identify just like this, we also have plenty of customers who look like this, who also self-identify as pretty advanced or a total coffee nerd.
0: Erica's screen grab is replaced with a two-story suburban home 40 miles north of Cincinnati.
1: But they're in the middle of nowhere in Westchester, Ohio. (laughs) That's not a diss on Westchester, Ohio. Um, but they still have the same exact reaction to specialty coffee, the way that we, uh, I, the, with the way that the other consumers that we generally think are our customers look like. Um, they live in a house, two and a half baths. We got the Zillow estimate of like what their house costs. So we have plenty of these customers as well. So, by way of, of example, we've broken out two very common customers from a large number of customer surveys um, and feedback that we've gotten. So let's look at Lauren. Lauren is a real person. Lauren is not her name, nor does she look like a two-pixel person. But she does uh, She does live in Apex, North Carolina. She owns her four-bedroom house. She is the uh, buyer of coffee for her family. Um, she's been making coffee for herself uh, seven days a week for about 14 years. And she owns a Mr. Coffee Classic 10-cup, which is a $55 uh, coffee maker. As we can see... Lauren's brand affinities, she likes Amazon, so there's some cheaper things that she likes. She likes price, value, and accessibility, but she'll still spring for an iPhone. Uh, She'll still take her kids to Walt Disney. Um, She drives a Passat. She likes yoga. And she has an extremely limited knowledge of specialty coffee. She might have noticed a counterculture in Raleigh the last time that she was there, but she still identifies as a specialty coffee drinker. She is one of our customers. Xander is someone that we actually see a little bit more often, and Xander is someone that we also kind of think is our customer more often than not. He's 29. He rents a two-bedroom house in Minnetonka, Minnesota. He makes $70,000 a year. He makes coffee in his Black & Decker 8-cup, which is a $40 machine, every morning. Um, His specialty knowledge is not really specialty as we know it. He thinks of Starbucks espresso as specialty, but he still identifies as a specialty coffee drinker, and he still purchases from specialty coffee roasters on trade. So uh, in order to talk to these customers better, knowing what their level of expertise is and how they self-identify, being kind of at a bigger delta between what we identify as an expert, uh, we want to switch up the language in which we talk to customers. While we in this room talk about a bright single origin with a lot of acidity, the words bright single origin, and acidity to many coffee customers, including Lauren and Xander, might be very difficult to grasp and understand. So this led to trade creating taste types, which isn't a way to reinvent the wheel, but is a way to introduce the wheel to specialty uh, customers, especially those who are new. We wanted a way to speak to every customer and their level of expertise or perceived expertise in a way that encapsulates what they'll experience with the coffee they're about to drink, Uh, I'm very proud to say that this has given me incredible success at reaching customers beyond the barrier of entry for specialty, but sometimes it doesn't work. This is a real email (laughs) that we received on our customer service team. I'm going to read it out loud to you because it is one of my favorite things I've ever gotten. Hi, Rachel. Terms like tasty types, funky and fruity, sweet and smooth, and comforting and rich sound like children's candy flavors is your site for kindergartners? Talk about dumb down. These terms tell me almost nothing about the coffee. Acidity is so basic to descriptions about coffee. A benefit to using a term like acidity is that it has a well-defined meaning on like gauzy, puerile terms like tasty types, funky, and fruity. Why would I care about the roaster's relationship with that particular farmer? What I care about is the taste of the coffee, not whether the roaster sits down to coffee with a farmer. We've completely completely lost interest. We're going to look elsewhere. Sincerely, Karen. <laughs> to Rachel's credit, she handled this fantastically. Um, I am so proud of Rachel for the way that she handled this. But we can see that Karen is not too happy with the way that we've decided to talk about coffees. But we also see within Karen's displeasure that she doesn't care about rosa relationships with farmers. So it's kind of hard to pinpoint exactly what it is about specialty she wants to buy into, right? But luckily, not every customer we interact with is a Karen. <clears throat> we get positive feedback from people who say the selections of our custom curated from here are unmatched. I wouldn't be able to find these coffees anywhere else. The coffee was on point with how I like my coffee. Dark with a chocolate finish, very basic, very accessible terminology. Uh, true to its description down here. So the customers that really buy into taste types and understand them like the fact that they are simple and accessible and easy to access. So every customer also has a different expectation of what they need met. Coffees with acidity, fast shipping time, price within their budget, with extensive farmer details, no farmer details, full transparency, literal flavor notes, and I could kind of just fill out the rest of the hour talking about all the different things that our customers want to have met. Um, in all honesty, there are as many different kinds of customer expectations as there are types of coffee in this industry today. So we see with alarming certainty that while there are many different ways to meet customer expectation, the one thing that they want the most is variety. They want the entire world at their as their oyster, and they don't want to stick to the same coffee over and over and over again. With 52 roasters and 454 coffees at their choosing, it can be very hard to navigate, which is why our personalization quiz helps guide them to coffees that they, we understand that they'll like. In order to help further this as a baseline for understanding, this is actually where taste types come into play. So taste types take a categorization of coffee, again, for example, a challenging single origin with high perceived acidity, and distills it down into a two-word experience, citrusy and tart. If I say citrusy and tart to this room, I'm pretty sure we all know what to expect that cup of coffee to taste like. So we've developed 14 different taste types, and two of them are fallible. Deep and Rich, which are dark espresso blends, and Crisp and Bright, which are bright seasonal blends. We just don't happen to see very many coffees submitted by roasters for these taste types, which is why they're the smallest slivers. We were a little presumptuous when we were making these, and not everything works, and so that taught us that those two things don't work, but luckily the other 12 taste types really do work. So let me run through them real quick to catch everyone up to speed. Balanced and Fruity is what we uh, define signature house blends that encapsulate roasters' signature styles. Revelator's Petunias, Intelligencia's Frequency, Huckleberry's Phantom Limb. Sweet and Smooth is what we call medium roasted blends, like Time and Temperature from Tandem, Inkwell from Coils, or Two Bridges from Orin's Daily Roast. Comforting and Rich are what we call medium dark roasted blends, like Equator's Equator Blend, La Colombe's Lyon, and Onyx's Eclipse. Roasty and Smoky, which are blends that have reached second crack in our expressing oil. Like Doma's Virgil's Organic Blend, Irving Farms Gotham, and Metric's Federal Motor 1200cc, which is the darkest coffee I have ever tasted in my entire life. <laughs> uh, citrusy and Tart, my favorite that I keep using as an example, a challenging single origin with high amounts of perceived acidity, like sight glasses Kenya, Atomic's Ethiopia Halobariti, and Panthers' uh, Finca La Illusion. Chocolatey and sweet, approachable single origins with a predominant note of chocolate, like Gimme's Honduras, Parlor's Peru, and George Howell's Terazu. Subtle and delicate, single origins with soft tea-like characteristics, like Madcap's Rwanda Kanzu, Verve's Santa Clara, or Temple's Ethiopia Goricone. Fruity and crisp, natural processed coffees with perceived acidity, honey processes or experimental processes, like Passenger's Gesha Village. Passion House's Lucy in the Sky, or Metric's Honduras. Funky and fruity. Natural processed coffees with classic natural flavor profiles. P.T.'s Tassa Natural, Cafe Vida's Sumatra Gallo, or Bird Rock's Natural Pecamara. Sweet and inviting. Approachable single origins with predominant notes of nut, caramel, and fruit, like Joe's La Familia Guarnizo, Dunes Peru, or Machina's Peru as well. It's Peru season after all, so we got a lot of perusums on the slides. Uh syrupy and smooth are coffees that have been marketed as espresso regardless of variety origin or roast profile, like Dogwood's Bear Hug Espresso, Boxcar Stella, or Airship's Black Apple. Sweet and tart, single origins with a balance of sweetness and acidity, like Maritz Andino, AKA's La Pia, or Ritual's Los Gigantes. So, to categorize these coffees, myself and two exceptional coffee experts uh, or professionals in New York, Maciej Kasparovich, former green buyer for Gregory's, and current free agent. You can find him at the Atlas booth, um, and then he's also working on the expo floor on Sunday. Someone please snag him for a full-time job. Uh, and Kayla Baird, longtime Joe Pro Shop barista and educator, she's also here this weekend. I think she's working at La Marzocco. Anybody wants to offer her a job, go ahead and do it. Um, Uh, We cup on a proprietary form to categorize coffees using these taste types so our customers can access and understand the coffees. Ezra Baker, in the middle, was also an instrumental member of our initial QC team, and I cannot reference the QC process at trade without giving him necessary recognition. We all have personal preference. Mache likes coffees from Burundi. Kayla likes coffees that taste like candy bars. And I like the really weird, challenging stuff that I have to sit with and go like, what is that? Pickle kumquat? (laughs) So just like the industry dictates, we remove our personal bias and objectively categorize these coffees based off of those two-word descriptors that help encapsulate coffee the best that we can. Specialty is actually an industry with many definitions, and I guarantee you that if we all had to submit our definition of what specialty coffee is, we'd have something that represents more of like a word cloud than an actual word-for-word definition of what it is. really like this definition from Rick Reinhart from SCA News uh, in March 2017. Um, the SCAA, now SCA, it was 2017 after all, um, defines specialty in its green stage as coffee that is free of primary defects, has no Quakers, is properly sized and dried, presents in the cup free of faults and taints, and has distinctive attributes. In practical terms, this means that the coffee must be able to pass aspect grading and cupping tests. As we all know, this also manifests itself onto the SCA cupping form as coffees that have been graded above 80 or above. So, it's technically that definition right here with coffees that score 80 and higher on the 100-point scale. It could also mean that coffee is grown in a microclimate. Some people also think that it has to do with the type of roast it undergo- undergoes or how expertly it's brewed. And this right there is where the definition gets muddy. But at the core of it, specialty coffee is a coffee free of primary defects that supports the supply chain that it comes from. Um, so to that end, what happens to the 80- 80 to 85-point coffees that generally get forgotten? Coffees on that lower end are still specialty and still benefit from the supply chain, and they still have a home within our industry. It's sometimes very hard for us to admit that things that are, can be perceived as good when we have a point scale and taste buds that tell us otherwise. However, we are a room of self-appointed experts who have tried for as long as I've been in this industry to convince customers to level up to where we are, instead of reaching out to meet them halfway or even the full way to where their understanding of what good is. Good is when it comes to preference, is a subjective term. Good to us and this 100-point scale is something else entirely. No one, including everyone in this room, was born an expert who understands the time, effort, and energy it takes to appreciate the deliciousness of a 90-point coffee. And that's something that we as an industry have disconnected with. We forget that we pretty much all started by drinking coffee that is oftentimes introduced to us by a family member that we poured milk and sugar into because that was the only way it was palatable to us. And we forget that many of our customers still drink coffee this way and still want coffee that befits their ritual and not pushed into a coffee that tastes best when drunk black, even though plenty of customers do.
0: Erica has a pie chart titled Most Popular Preferences. The largest slice is black at 42%, then 30% with milk or cream, 23% with both, and 5% with sugar or sweetener.
1: But we can see that it's almost split right down the middle customers that prefer black coffees as to customers that prefer coffees that have, been, have had something added to it. Now, it wasn't that long ago that we were making fun of customers for adding milk to their coffee. Um, and because of that, we've been mocked and made fun of by the general coffee consumers because we use vocabulary that acts as a barrier. Um, We as an industry have swayed so far into the light roast and underdeveloped coffee trend that we by and large have shunned developed coffees and by proxy the customers that drink them and identify with them as being good.
0: Erica's new pie chart is titled Most Popular Roast Levels. The largest slice is medium roast at 46%, followed by dark roast at 31%, and light roast at 23%.
1: This is an actual breakdown of the amount of coffees that we sell by roast profile on trade. Now, before anybody starts getting upset, uh, acting like trade is a shill for dark roast commodity coffees, we're not, (laughs) all of our roasters purchase 80-plus coffees and are classified as specialty coffee roasters and interact with the specialty supply chain. I just showed you 32 of the roasters that are on the platform. Here they are again with the other 20. You have probably taken classes from our best-selling roasters, seen them win awards in various competitions they compete in, and learned from them as they climb the industry ladders to become leaders in our industry. I am talking about specialty, and I am talking about the specialty coffee consumer. This is not commodity. These are our roasters, and I'm talking about our customers.
0: Erica's new pie chart is titled Active SKU Assortment on site, and shows all the coffee flavor groupings she mentioned earlier. The top five most popular flavor roasters offer are balanced and fruity, smooth and sweet, comforting and rich, syrupy and smooth, sweet and tart.
1: This is an active product listing of all the coffees we offer on site by taste type. Now, I think this is a very important part of the lecture to tell you I'm not trying to indoctrinate any of you into the trade model. Uh, this is the way that I have been collecting data in the language with which I'm talking to my customers, our customers, and the data that I have access with and share with you. So if it's any easier to reverse engineer this, please note that when I refer to citrusy and tart coffees, I'm talking about challenging single origins with lots of perceived acidity. So as we can see, we have a healthy range of single origins, a few blends, a decent amount of espressos. Uh, balanced and fruity starting at 12 and then cycling around right there. Now let's look at the sales of these exact same taste types side by side.
0: Erica has now added a second pie chart next to the skew by taste type pie chart. This new chart is called sales by taste type. The top five best-selling flavors are... Smooth and sweet, roasty and smoky, comforting and rich, sweet and inviting, and balanced and fruity.
1: There are a few immediate takeaways. One being the huge increase of the first four taste types, balanced and fruity, sweet and smooth, comforting and rich, and roasty and smoky. Bounce and Fruity, again, is a medium roasted signature house blend. Sweet and Smooth is a medium roasted blend. Comforting and Rich is medium dark. And Roasty and Smoky is exactly what it sounds like. Now, I can kind of feel a little bit of tension in everyone here about Roasty and Smoky being presented as a high-scoring or high-purchase coffee. So let's start there. Um, I, myself, do not prefer Roasty and Smoky coffees. Uh, the QC team lovingly refers to them as sweaty buddies. And we break <laughs> apart the nuances that we can find within them if there are there. Uh, while it's not our cup of coffee, per se, it's truly not about us. It's what the customer wants. And if we, if we can see that the customers want this taste type. One twentieth of every coffee that's on our site is a Roasty and Smoky coffee. But one out of six sold is a Roasty and Smoky That's a pretty big disconnect right there. And our customers are telling us that they want roasty and smoky coffees when we have so few of them. And the proof is in our sales. They are our second largest selling taste type. (laughs) Now, I would rather give these two adorable human beings, Terry and Rebecca from DOMA. DOMA stands for their two kids, Dominic and Marco. They live in Post Falls, Idaho. They are a uh, roaster on our platform. I'd rather give them sales of coffees that have been pushed to second crack Um, One of their best-selling coffees, which is Roasty and Smoky, is Virgil's, and I'd rather give them uh, customers and money for them to put back into their supply chain rather than let those customers leave us and go buy something at the grocery store that kind of reflects the same thing. Um, Specialty can already be prohibitively expensive for some customers, which is why they do shop at grocery stores. And luckily, there's a correlation between the price points of these coffees um, and the point scale that they get, because coffees that are 80 to 85 generally, even though they get a premium on top of a C market price, generally are bought lower for a lower price than higher expensive, more scoring coffees. So let's talk about price for a very quick second. So as we can see, customers that say I'm pretty new to this, or I'm at an intermediate stage, have a myriad of expectations for us. They're 5 out of 10s, 8 out of 10s, 6 out of 10s, 3 out of 10s. But a lot of these like negative scores are coming from the prohibitive price point of entering into our industry. Um, the custom, These customers are exactly the type of customers that buy roasty and smoky taste types. The cost is lower because the quality of coffee is within that range. And they're very familiar with the flavor profiles of the coffees they already purchase. While I don't have anything up here that relates to customer feedback, we actually hear a lot of misinformation from our customers saying that, like, oh, this coffee doesn't have any oil on it, so it must not be fresh. There is, like, a huge marketing lie out there that oily coffee is what's fresh. And we've talked to a couple customers about this, and they literally think... And this is so beautiful. It's such a beautiful insight into these customers. They are familiar with roasting vegetables or roasting seeds. So they think of roasting coffee as pouring oil over the green beans and shoving them in an oven and roasting them that way. They don't even know what a roaster the person is versus what a roaster the machine is. So this is where that disconnect comes from. So they need something when we talk to them about this and we reach them about this with no bias, no, no like barrier for entry to like meet them where they understand this. And that's really what makes specialty special. The incredible variety of roast profiles, brands, and stories along the supply chain, customers want those stories. They want to know what roasting coffee is. They want to know that it's not on a pan with a bunch of oil shoved into an oven. When they see roasters at your shop in the cafe and they think, oh, can I heat up my banana bread on that? And then you're able to say, no, like this is what it is. They want to know because they feel like they're being brought into this fold, and they are. The more that they know, the more they're brought into this fold. And that's what makes everyone in this room unique and what makes us relevant and powerful as a group. We should take opportunities like this here at SCA to make sure that we continue to embrace this and the new customers that we're reaching with specialty. So uh, the sweet and smooth taste type is actually the best selling of all of the darker SKUs. It's Uh, classified as a medium roast. Um, It's the actual doorway to specialty for many customers because of accessible flavor notes and words they recognize, like medium, blend, and sweet. These are all words that are accessible within everyone's flavor dictionaries, even those who are not lifelong professionals. So this exact line of thinking is why I believe our best-selling single origin taste type, which is this purple guy right there, is the sweet and inviting taste type. We originally had all single origins with accessible flavor notes classified in the chocolatey and sweet taste type, which still exists, but recognizing the fallibility that not all approachable single origins actually do taste like chocolate uh, broke this sweet and inviting taste type out. Sweet and inviting coffees have predominant notes of nut, fruit, or caramel, and they are sweet, easy sippers that don't make you work that hard. As a reminder, sweet, inviting, nut caramel, and fruit are all words and accessible flavor profiles that we all have in our dictionaries, whether we're professionals or not. So, again, customers have told us through the dollars that they spend that the coffees that they enjoy, by and large, have more development than the ones we in this room like best or performs best on a competition stage. Uh, 99.9% of our customers are not USBC judges or professional cuppers. They want something familiar and accessible. So the question that I posit now is, if we are so concerned with how to nuance roasts to pull out the absolute best attributes of green coffee, sometimes by and large falling short and not fully developing those coffees, why have we not looked into the nuance that development and beautifully blended coffee can be? Now I'm not saying no one does this, clearly, as you can see by our sales, they do, but industry-wide, we don't put emphasis on it. As an industry, we don't focus on nuanced development or beautiful blending and I've tasted absolutely amazing medium dark to dark roasted coffee that have character and nuance to them it's also what our customers are telling us that they want since implementing a darker roasted subscription at trade we're seeing that over a third of our customers have bought into this program
0: Erica has a graph showing the popularity of a la carte and subscription sales at trade the point to note is that when they introduced the darker roasted subscription coffee, it became the most popular product in their range in just a few months.
1: Um. What this graph doesn't tell or show you is that trade is growing at a remarkably rapid rate. Thanks to our extensive marketing extensive marketing reach and this influx of customers into this program hasn't actually cannibalized our other offerings. Instead, we opened a door for new customers to come in and start testing the specialty water, and this, in that darker roasted subscription, is actually where they enter. It grew, it grew rapidly from December 16th from when we implemented it to um, the beginning of March. We now went from zero to 43% of our customers buying into this, this, this subscription type and these types of coffees. I'm about to show you one of my favorite slides. <laughs> what we're seeing at Trade, and what I see as an incredible possibility, is about 30 to 40% of customers that start in those intro- introductory, darker, roasted taste types level up into a single origin, pour-overs, or more nuanced coffees that we all know, love, and cherish. This is Nick. Nick is our head of product. And Nick, like, this is the most perfect picture of Nick possible because he just, like, I can hear his laugh, like, looking at this. When I came on to trade in July, he was a self-proclaimed newbie. Uh, He, like, was constantly like, well, I don't know as much as you do. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But he did know that he liked naturals. And he had really only learned about specialty coffee when he started beginning the steps of creating trade. So in like the few months before that, from no information to a little information to when I joined in July, he knew he liked naturals, because they were weird, they had a lot of sugar, they tasted like nothing he had ever tasted before, and as of two weeks ago, he tried passenger's Hacienda Esmeralda, which is a $60 bag of coffee for 10 ounces, and literally proclaimed it life-changing. Like, he got so excited when they came in for QC. I pulled him into the QC room. We tasted them, and he was just, like, like losing his mind. As soon as it went live, he bought it on the site. He's like, I flash-chilled it. Like, he's, like, so into it. And it took less than a year. But where he started were those introductory coffees and the aspects of coffee and the way that we talk about them that are familiar. We entered Nick into our supply chain, in our industry, by showing him something that was familiar and that tasted good. And in about 10 months, he was talking to me about flash chilling a $60 coffee. Um, so it's, not everyone is a Nick, <laughs> unfortunately. But we do see about 30 to 40% of our customers act like Nick. It's more the customers that understand and buy into our ethos and supply chain than ever did before, and it's because there's a door that's been opened and reaching out to them with language that's familiar to what they know and already understand. We didn't use language as a barrier for entry. So, in conclusion, we have to start thinking about how, we have to start changing our thinking of how we create coffee now. In every consumer packaged goods industry, especially with foods in the last 10 years, trends start in L.A., New York, San Francisco, gain traction in a few rich geographies, and then explode like wildfire across the whole country. Please look at you know, kombucha, IPAs, quinoa, organic pet food. We feel that specialty is right up against that inflection point. And it's important that you in this room are armed with this information to understand what, consumer, what consumers are going to demand as the thing that makes us special more popular. Our customers are varied and vast. They have multiple expectations of what coffee can be, and they are reticent to learning and understanding unless there's something familiar that they can enter in with. Whatever they like is good to them. Most of them don't even know that a point scale exists for grading coffees. What they like is good, and they don't think that they're wrong. Just like Sagan said, in order to bake an apple pie, you must first create the universe, and the universe to many coffee drinkers is medium dark, exists in Middle America, and is varied with many different options available. Our customers are also not who we think they look like. These are all ambassadors on trade on social media, and the pictures taken here are taken from our tagged photos on Instagram. Historically, specialty coffee has catered to college-educated single white male audiences, and we know from extensive research that we have women who purchase for the home, families who live in Middle America, and humans of all racial backgrounds who want to drink good coffee, It supports my ethos that specialty coffee can be for everyone, every taste profile, every background, and every walk of life. In order to welcome new customers into the fold, we have to have products that speak to them. So how do we give them what they want at a price point that allows them to enter into our supply chain? One avenue is lower-scoring-point coffees, coffees that benefit from extended development, that can act beautifully in a blend, that end up opening the door for new customers by being something familiar. This ends up with more customers for the roaster, which is more money at the roaster level. This reaches a larger audience, and with it, a percentage of customers who level up into more nuanced coffees and fully buy into our supply chain. With more money helping roasters expand their businesses, they can support their employees, communities, and purchase some more of those shiny, special, higher scoring coffees that we all know and love in this room. What does this do for professional development for roasters? As an industry, we don't really explore the dark side. We, by and large, shun it. What does it mean to expand our ideas of what is good? And who are we speaking to? Who is speaking with their dollars? We can continue to learn and grow and create really unique and special dark roasts for these customers. We need to start giving dark roasts the attention and care that we have for underdevelopment and light roasts, because our customers are asking for it, and they're asking for it now. This is going to come in handy as coffee gets more and more scarce we have to be entirely realistic about the future of specialty. Half of all available land for growing coffee will be unable to support farming by the year 2050, which is also when global consumption is expected to have doubled. The reality of the situation is that higher-scoring point coffees will die off faster and in more numbers than their lower-scoring counterparts. The higher-scoring coffees that do stick around will be so rare that they will be more expensive than the average consumer can justify. We already hear plenty of complaints about paying $4 for a cup of drip coffee, these customers are not going to pay more. They just won't. So we need to start creating a nuanced and delicious option for the customers that haven't shown up yet, the customers that are doubling consumption by 2050. We have to give our producers, 70% of them are smallholder and family-owned farms of less than two hectares or less, a chance to continue to make money along our supply chain to prove to them that we still care, and we have to start doing that now. 2050 is still a ways away, and the implementation of these ideas now will make a difference then. It's important to support our producers, our local communities, and our employees. Our customers are telling us this with their dollars that they already want this, and that this is an entranceway into our industry and our supply chain. Thank you. Uh, For those of you who couldn't hear, the question was, how do we uh, continue to thoughtfully buy these coffees that score lower on the um, point scale without actually slipping back into commodity while still maintaining true to our values? And I think it's a really good question um, because I think part of what it is is we already have relationships with the producers that we buy from, right? And we already have we already know that we have to pass on certain things from them even though it might have been a hard harvest they might have been hit by a myriad of climate changes whatever the reason for their quality have dropped it's still someone that we know so we can rely on the supply chain to really come into effect and make sure that the coffees that we're paying for are actually being bought at higher than the C market price And like back on that slide where it's like, well, the definition of specialty gets muddy when we talk about like whether or not it's like care and roasting or expertly brewed. And I think that makes a big part in what specialty is. I think that specialty as an industry right now is so well-educated on the barista side, not necessarily the roaster side for the dark roasted uh, specifically, that we can make up in those quality price points or in those quality points by letting our baristas start to shine. We can start developing things that taste good at lower lower price points and lower scoring points and teaching our baristas how to make that a special experience for people. So as long as we're still purchasing from the people that we already honor with our supply chain um, and ensuring them that they will have safety and revenue while we're, like, nuancing this, I don't think that we necessarily just have to jump ship and be like, cool, I'm going to buy 75s and that's it. Or I'm going to negotiate a 79 so I can under on like underscore you on that 80. I think that that like 79, 80, and 81 point range is really, really interesting, right? Because if something's at a 79 points and you just refuse to give it an 80, so you don't have to pay that premium on, on top of it, pay the premium, give it an 80, and just bring it in. Because it just helps further along what customers are looking for and ensuring that the supply chain stays strong.
0: A member of the audience is now asking about natural coffees.
1: Yeah, I think um one of our uh one of our like weapons that we have in like our back pockets are naturals. Tossing out a natural into a blend, especially if you roast it on its own and then post-roast blend, you can really define those super sweet, all those really dense sugars and really make sure that that blend has that nice sweet component to it. Uh, the more dense the coffee is, the more sugars that there are, the more that it takes to development. So, you know, say you get, like, a really funky natural that you're like, wow, I don't want to serve this on its own. Like, one customer a day is going to purchase this. You can use those sugars in that development to your benefit in a blend to pump up that, like, candy-like sweetness, I guess, um, to make sure that, like, you know, if you're buying something that has, like, a kind of, like, dry or nutty taste, that there is a nice, like, sugar overarch that kind of elevates that entire blend. I've never roasted before. So any roasters out there, feel free to tell me I'm wrong.
0: (laughs) A member of the audience is asking Erica to talk about the quality control process and trade's relationship with farmers. Yes.
1: So the team itself doesn't really have a whole lot of relationship to the farmers of the coffees that come in because we have more of a relationship to the roasters that are sending us those coffees. But um, both of the um, customers on the team are... Customers. Both of both of the people on the QC team have vast experience, so they understand the supply chain, and they have both gone to countries of origin and visited. So their base is very um, firm. So I affectionately uh, refer to our uh, QC form as the Fisher-Price cupping form because instead of having it be like a huge 100-point scale, it's really the delta between what the roasters are telling us the coffee tastes like, which are like apparitions of apricot and like the sound of trombones on a rainy day, um, and like actually translating that into, oh, this tastes like a Snickers bar. So... um, So I can't show you what the QC form is because it's proprietary, but it's a, it's a really easy way and the whole entire purpose of it is to not grade or score those coffees, but to figure out how, yeah, exactly, to translate all of these like very lofty roaster expectations, or if a roaster says something's medium and it's actually very light, finding out what through customer preferences and how we can market it in those taste type categories. So We also QC every Tuesday. If any of you are ever in New York, you want to come through, hang out. We always welcome guests. Um,
0: A member of the audience is asking how roasters react when trade uses flavor descriptors that the roasters themselves wouldn't have chosen.
1: Um, Usually very well. Um, (laughs) I have a very healthy uh, conversation going with pretty much every roaster on our platform. So when we implemented Taste Types, I did a lot of diligent work to make sure that they knew what it was that I was doing and as a way to be like, not to say like you're wrong. Like the customers that come through and buy Huckleberry will be buying Huckleberry because they want to buy Huckleberry and they know what those what their flavors are and what they mean. What we do is continually keep trying to tell the roasters, like, I'm reaching new customers for you that have never, by and large, never known about specialty and don't understand the delineation between commodity and specialty. So it's it's a way to just succinct down what they've all said. And then also, if you go on the site and you click on, like, any one of those coffees, it shows you what taste type it's in. But then it also explains, like, here are, like, the actual, like, flavor real triangulation notes that you'll taste. So we take the flavors from the flavor wheel, which are already pretty accessible. So again, if someone tells us apparitions of apricot, we can be stone fruit. Um, So that pops up. So our customers aren't just getting blanketed um, branding from us. And then what was the second question, the follow-up? How do they differentiate within that Okay. And then the second question was, how do customers differentiate within those certain taste types? Um, Again, it's those flavor wheel triangulations. So when a customer comes through um, our funnel and they... Answer a six question quiz, they are met with a great match. And that's not necessarily like this is the best coffee for you, but like here's like the web, right? Sort of like a a a cube, four-dimensional box. Like you tell us you like this, you tell us like this, here's like the nebulous web of coffees that you'll probably like. Um so there's brand recognition is very big for customers. We have a few national brands on our catalog. Um, Stumptown, Intelligentsia, La Colombe. we see a lot of customers come in and recognize that and as their first coffee be like, cool, I know what that is. Like, I, I recognize that. I've seen that before. And then when we recommend new coffees, it's like, oh, here's the variety and the expansion. And what we see is actually a, a very big driving force for our customers is variety. They really want to be bouncing around and checking out, you know, all right, so I had a sweet and inviting from Doma. I want to go check out a sweet and inviting from Joe and see how they compare.
0: So... A member of the audience is asking how Erica translated her past experience working in an e-commerce company into this new role and how the team around her is balanced between the coffee side and the software side.
1: That's a really good question. Um, it was kind of trial by fire. <laughs> um, I am still not very tech savvy. Uh, I had to figure out like how to work a dongle like, to get this up on the screen. So luckily, I am surrounded by experts, data scientists, front and back end engineers that know a lot of coffee very well. And luckily, they see me as the main person that comes from specialty. As director of coffee, I'm kind of the like the flag holder for coffee within the office. Uh, my enthusiasm has helped people also like get excited about it as well. Like if I if a new coffee comes in and I open it at my box and I like hoot and holler, people like Nick are like, what'd you get? <laughs> um, so our customer service team also pulls from a lot of experienced baristas. We have three people on customer service that have experience as baristas, and then our um, roaster ops and roaster relationship management uh, person, Louisa, who is incredible. She also comes from a background of coffee as well. Um, So while I have the most experience and kind of the most accolades, I'm still surrounded a little bit by people that uh, come from the industry, but it's actually very much just like uh, how I got involved in coffee. I learned that there's a bunch of stuff to learn, and all of my colleagues feel the same exact way. So they, you know, they bug me for questions. They, you know, want to show me a new coffee that they've got. We've created these things called sub personas. So they like they are buying coffees from the site and they're like kind of figuring out exactly what their tastes are as well. We've got one person on the team that only drinks decaf. So every time I get a decaf in, I'm like, Matt, and just like toss it his way. And so he can give me like a lot of good feedback there about how decafs taste. Um, it's been really interesting. I, I'm learning a lot more about how, like, companies work. Um, my CEO was here, and, like, there was a, a point at, like, two months in where there was, like, this passing comment where he was like, I'm sorry, we don't have a project manager. And I was like, what is that? <laughs> Wait, you don't... You mean we're not just supposed to wear every hat and just, like, chug at every problem with full speed? What? Um, so it's been really interesting, and luckily... Uh, Luckily, the fact that it has been a startup and like a small company that's grown and gotten a lot, of, a lot more excitement around coffee as it gets bigger, um, it kind of reflects a growing coffee company as well. Like, we all take on way more than we need to or should or like to maybe even have expertise to do, but the team has come together in a really, really beautiful way. And yeah, I, I really like my job.
0: <laughs> a member of the audience is asking how seriously trade takes the issue of freshness. And what freshness statistics do they use in the business?
1: Pretty pretty uh, important, actually. So the model is um, roasted to order. So the roasters are not roasting the coffee until the customer places the order, which uh, brings up a lot of really interesting um, challenges when it comes to operations and logistics. Like when when the roasters accept the order, how they fold it back into their own e-commerce and their wholesale and their cafes. Um, But our customers very much like this coffee was made for me, and it ships out for me within X number of hours, and I get it within a week. Like, that is very important. And luckily, we don't really see very um, – we don't see roasters tripping up on that very often at all. You know, every so often, if it's a skew that they're not roasting with, a, like, a lot of – if they're not doing it routinely, like, throughout the week, you know, every so often, they the, we have seen, like, an old coffee scent. But honestly, I haven't heard this complaint in about three months – So I think our roasters really understand that freshness is very important. And we do also do a lot to educate our customer that, like, just because a coffee might be a month old doesn't mean you should throw it out. Like, coffee is good for a really long time. Um, This whole, like, it loses its sparkle in two weeks is true to a certain extent. Um, A month and a month and a half old coffee that you buy from one of our roasters is still going to taste better than anything vacuum sealed from the grocery store. Cool. Well, uh, feel free to snag me at any point. I have business cards if you want to get this. I'm sorry I didn't upload this onto the um, app, but I would be very happy to send this along to you. So, thank you.
0: That was Erica Vani at Specialty Coffee Expo in April 2019. Remember to check our show notes for a full transcript of this lecture and a link to coffeexpo.org for more information about this year's event. This has been an episode of the SCA Podcasts Expo Lecture Series, brought to you by the members of the Specialty Coffee Association and supported by SAP Soft Engine Coffee One. Thanks for listening.